Uh, Javel and I feel uh, very honored to be with you this morning. Uh, uh, I asked her just as we were on our way, we left very early and asked her, I'm really sorry for bothering you, you know, to wake up very early and come with me in the cold. And she told me, no, don't worry about it. I signed up for it. <laughs> so thank you. So this is my wife, it's called Javella. And we were really looking forward to the music. From last time, we, we, we went away with an impression of, wow, that, that's really good singing. So excellent. Thank you, guys. I wonder what encouragement you will give Grace. Grace is 13 years old. Uh, she has two older brothers, and they live with their mother in rural Uganda. The father died a few years ago, and when the father died, the only property that they were left with was a piece of land, a prime piece of land, nice uh, location. Now, a, a rich businessman in the area one evening visited them and asked to buy their land. But he was offering very little money. He was literally taking advantage of them. And so the mother wisely and firmly uh, rejected the offer. Uh, he came around a few other times uh, to coerce the mother to give away the land and even made threats that there would be consequences if she does not cooperate. And so it happened that one afternoon, because Grace used to, uh, was young and left school earlier than uh, her brothers, and the mother was away, so Grace was uh, uh, at home alone, and the man showed up and made good of her threats. She, she said he sexually molested 13-year-old Grace. The brothers and the mother returned in the evening to find what had happened to this young, beautiful girl. They rushed and reported to the, to the police and hoped that there would be justice, something would be done to this uh, rich man. Unfortunately, nothing was done. Day after day, they were at the police to check and to pester, to pester them and to ask what is the progress, and it, it just seemed like nothing was going on. Because you see, the rich man had gone ahead of them and bribed the policeman. One time, the older brother, really angry and frustrated by this policeman, got uh, a bit aggressive with the police at the police station. And that led to his imprisonment for six months uh, for being aggressive with the police. So this poor family tried all they can to get justice. And now Grace has to live the rest of her life uh, with that scar and no justice. Because there are powerful people in this world who can get away with almost anything. I wonder what you'd tell Grace. And as I'm saying that story, you probably know other stories like that. Uh, stories like that exist literally around the world of uh, uh, people who are denied justice. Uh, if you've not had stories like that, just sign up to newsletters of organizations like Tear Funds, and you will hear lots of stories like that. Christians being persecuted 
uh, by powerful people and powerful governments. Our passages today give us some hope, give us some encouragement that we could give grace and all other people and Christians like her. Uh, because Jesus is king and he is the ultimate judge. Daniel chapter 7 is, uh, I think, a decent summary of what the whole book of Daniel is. So the book of Daniel is, is, is a great encouragement to us to persevere in faith because God, Yahweh, is the only true God. Yahweh is the ultimate king. Most of you would be familiar with, you know, like the story of Daniel in the lion's den and how God rescued him. We would be familiar with the story of those three Hebrew boys uh, whom we know by the name Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and how God rescued them from a, a, a powerful man. And, and literally from Daniel chapter one, chapter seven, God consistently proves to human rulers to earthly kings of this world, that he is the ultimate king. And, and chapter seven uh, uh, does the same thing, but sort of differently. Because instead of using real names of kings and kingdoms, chapter seven uses coded language. Uh, but but it, describe, it still describes kings and kingdoms. Uh, Daniel says that he sees uh, uh, this vision and there are four terrifying, beastly uh, uh, figures. Uh, the first one is, is, is uh, uh, like a lion with wings of an eagle. The second one is uh, a fierce uh, a bear with ribs uh, in its mouth, really scary. Uh, the, the, third, the third figure is a leopard with four heads and four wings. Can you imagine that? Again, really scary. And the fourth one is the most scary of them all. It's, 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 it's this large beast with large iron teeth and ten horns. So they're, they're really powerful. They, 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 they appear really powerful. They appear really terrifying. And, and they represent kings and kingdoms and empires, successive empires that would have ruled the world then. And, and, and as Daniel is still mesmerized by, by this vision, by, by these terrifying beasts, these beastly figures, uh, he sees another vision. Uh, and he sees two thrones set up in what looks like a court, a court scene, and the ancient of days takes his place on uh, the throne. And in the biblical worldview, this ancient of days is, is none other than God himself. I wonder if you heard how he's described. His, his clothing is as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. And, and, and these multitudes of people and uh, uh, of heavenly hosts worshiping him stood before him. And, and, and it, the court scene is set up, people are seated and boots are opened, a judgment is about to happen. And, and the picture is God does sit in judgment of those powerful 
and terrifying beasts. See, God is the ultimate judge, and God is setting himself to judge them, as it were. They answer to God, as it were. Uh, but then you might be wondering, what about the other throne? Because verse 9 talks about thrones, thrones in plural. What about the other one? And, and, and Daniel sees another vision that's described in verse 13. So we read verse 9 to 10, then verse 13 to 14. And, and, and in this vision, he sees another person. Uh, it looks like a son of man. So he's a human being, verse 13. In my vision at night, I looked. And there before me was one like a son of man coming with clouds of heaven. Now, in the other parts of the Bible, this, this language of somebody coming in clouds of heaven, somebody who travels in the clouds as it were, is used to describe God. So Psalm 104 talks about God riding the clouds, or Ezekiel 1, or uh, Isaiah 19. Yahweh is said to be riding the clouds, and other idols are trembling at his presence. It's the same language here in Daniel 7. So this other person, this second person, who looks like a human being, like a son of man, is also divine, is also God. And Daniel says he comes to in the presence of the ancient of days, and verse 14, he's given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations, all peoples of every language worshiping his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom will never be destroyed. So it's a picture of two persons, both of them are gods, and one of them looks like man. And this God-man, as it were, is given supreme authority over everybody, over everything, over every king and his kingdom is forever. And Daniel continues to see this vision after this, and he sees uh, those beastly figures destroyed. Even the fourth one, the one that uh, uh, is the most terrifying, they don't last, they're transient, they are destroyed. Now, when we come to the New Testament, we find Jesus taking on himself the same title, he calls himself Son of Man. He identifies as the God-Man, as it were. He's, he's this powerful figure that comes riding on the clouds. And in our gospel reading today, Jesus is before Pilate and other uh, human authorities, and, and these people are evil. Uh, the religious leaders, our passage just comes after uh, Jesus' encounter with the religious leaders, and they were not really religious leaders, they were evil men, uh, the Sanhedrin. And, 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 and they asked him, are you the Christ? Uh, John does not record this, but Matthew, Mark and Matthew record it. Are you the Christ? Are you the anointed one? This is Jesus' response, I am and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. You see, Jesus' mind, even at this time, his mind is in Daniel 7, as it were. 
And it's like these authorities are representative of those beastly figures, those terrifying, uh, fierce, uh, uh, powerful figures in Daniel 7. These, these people are representing them. And see what they want to do. They want to destroy Jesus. They have a knife on Jesus' throat, as it were, isn't it? They want Jesus killed, uh, even though Jesus is innocent, you see? And, and, and in our passage, Jesus is before Pilate, uh, uh, the, the, the governor. And, and, and Pilate also asked him, are you the king of the Jews? His response, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is from another place. You see, when Jesus says my kingdom is not of this world, it doesn't mean that Jesus does not rule this world as it were, that his reign is not felt in the physical world as it is, so that it's just in the spiritual domain, no. What Jesus means, that his authority, his power, his kingdom, is not derived from this world. You see, he does not need an election to be king. He does not need a majority approval in parliament. To be that, that's not how he becomes king. That's not how he establishes his kingdom. That's why his followers do not need to crusade, as it were. We don't have a Christian jihad. It's, 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 it's not necessary to have it. Because Jesus' kingdom is established differently. And his power and his authority is greater than anything than this world can offer. The reading from Revelations brings all this to a climax. Again, Daniel 7 is in view. Verse 7, Luke is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him, it says. You see, no one can escape Jesus' rule and judgment. Verse 8, I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. See, Alpha and Omega is like to say A to Z. His rule, his reign is all-encompassing. Uh, I like this quote. You probably have heard of it by uh, the famous uh, Dutch leader, Abraham Kuyper. He says, there's not a square inch in the whole of in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is Lord over all, does not exclaim mine. See, Jesus is king over every square inch, every aspect of our world. He rules. And he will make his rule visible one day. It's not visible now to us, but he will make his rule visible. And that's what Revelation uh, promises us. And when he comes, he will judge every injustice, every unfairness, every wrong. One day, grace will get justice. One day, Christians being persecuted will get justice because the true judge will take his place on the judgment seat and bring justice. Now, of course, that, that, that includes all of us, isn't it? And I think sometimes we might focus on, you know, like really evil 
are acts of injustice like that to grace. And forget that even us sometimes we do wrong to one another. We are unfair to one another. We wrong God in our confession. We say that a lot of times. But you see, if we trust in Jesus and have asked for Jesus' forgiveness, then we do not need to fear that judgment. I wonder if you noticed verse 5 of our Revelations 1. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. You see, if we trust in Jesus, then by his blood, he has borne the justice that we deserve. You see, at the cross of Jesus, Jesus paid for the worst crime any of us here would have done. He, he took the justice. And, and there's no bigger justice. It doesn't matter what you do in this world. If you go to the courts, the greatest conviction you can be given is the death penalty. And guess what? Jesus took that. He took the death penalty on our behalf who trust in him, who love him. And so we are free. And therefore, and we can serve him. That's what he said. He has made us a kingdom, a kingdom and priest to serve him. We can freely serve him. As we await that great day, that great day we can tell grace and all other Christians to wait for. We can persevere and not physically fight uh, uh, as, uh, you know, like uh, uh, other religions might want to do. We don't need to do that. There will be a day when he will bring his visible rule on this world. Everybody will see it. The king of the, all the earth will establish his reign. And every injustice will bow to Jesus. Amen.